Mr. Robot, Season 4, Episode 5, Method Not Allowed is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about Season 4, Episode 5 of Mr. Robot. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, it's time we talk. Oh, we're Antonio. We're we're talking on this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Listen, sorry. I was trying to think of a, a bunch of like silent gags at the start of this thing, but I felt like uh, there's no way to do that that wouldn't be deeply confusing to the listener slash our great editor, uh, Stevie. So uh, we should probably just talk. <laughs> we should probably should we, just talk on this podcast if we can. Should we just text back and forth and video, like record a video of it and then post that in lieu of the... And people can do speech to text on our texts? Yeah, maybe we could do text to speech so that you and I don't actually speak with our voices on this one. Should we record a full... Here's, here's an idea. You and I record every word in the English language, just us speaking each individual word, like anything, from, discovers, van, Elliot. Yes, and then we 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 load that in the speech to text form, uh, and then we type the text, and then we play that our own voices saying the word. So it's real choppy. <laughs> Dude, oh. room online. <laughs> no, so this is this is what we should do. You ready? So you and I should record us saying every single word in the English language with every single possible emotional inflection so that we can then just stitch together all of the words uh, from a pre-written script that everybody will think actually sounds like you and I talking to each other and podcasting about the show. I mean, it's going to require that you and I stop down now really quickly just to sort all of that out and then come back together, but we can stitch this intro together with the scripted podcast if you're up for it. Yeah, let's stop that down. Okay, so let's just stop down real quick. Okay, and we're back. And so this is just us talking based on a script. This is not us actually using uh, our voices actively so much as just uh, stitching our, our words together. Yes, I'm here. It's very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, modern technology is so wonderful. Uh, so is Mr. Robot. Oh, my God. Uh, what a what a fabulous episode of television this was! I'm so happy. This is like my new favorite episode of Mr. Robot Method Not Allowed. This is so it's much good. fun. This this is just a blast. It was it's a really blast. Good. I think it's a great sign, right, in your final season of a show that you're able to post numbers like this on the board, where someone says, "This is my new favorite episode." Yeah. Uh, and there, there. If you look at last week's episode compared to this one, the same people made both things. That's incredible to me. Uh, the same people made that poetry that was last week, and then the just the uninterrupted narrative of this week, the prose that was pouring forth, unbelievable stuff. Like just like an action movie to end all action movies, the Christmas action movie. Forget Die Hard, Josh. Yeah, I'll never forget Die Hard. And I also appreciate that clearly uh, the official Mr. Robot stance on Die Hard is that it is indeed a Christmas movie. Uh, yeah, I believe Sam Esmail has tweeted something to that effect. Like, not only is it a Christmas movie, it is the Christmas movie. Yeah, so this is in the in the vein of that. I mean, we were talking last week about how uh, 404 Not Found is sort of the, the moody Christmas Eve episode, right? Like, that is the one that's, like, very contemplative, the, the dark night of the soul. Uh, and here, this is the Christmas Day episode, 
and it is more along the lines of Die Hard. It is more along the lines of I've I've thought of it uh, as as akin to, to Home Alone, uh, the high a very hijinks oriented Christmas Day spectacular. The Kevin McAllister of it all. Uh, that this is uh, Christmas isn't over. Clearly, the the Christmas holiday is going to extend. You assume into at least four oh six. But as far as this being the the official Christmas episode of Mr. Robot, at least to a degree. Um, it did to me have that sensation of the excitement and the thrill and the joy that's involved with a really awesome, spectacular Christmas morning. Like, oh my god, I can't believe mom got me this present! Or, oh my god, I never thought that this would be under the tree! Santa! You know? <laughs> I feel like we just unwrapped a really exciting gift here with this dialogue free or mostly dialogue free episode of Mr. Robot that I think fits very snugly alongside uh, on the mantle of these episodes that are structurally unique, uh, that are format breaking in exciting, thrilling ways. You know, thinking back to season two's sitcom opening or thinking to season three's, um, you know, presented as one single take uh, in 305. Uh, and, and here we are with an episode that is not completely dialogue-free. Um, it is not even completely spoken dialogue-free, but it is mostly dialogue-free. Uh, and it is it is, it is just a, a terrific, terrific treat to watch. At least I felt that way. I really enjoyed this episode. Me too. And obviously the fact that there is some dialogue in it just at the beginning and the end is really funny in, in some ways. It's like a joke. Uh, Darlene beginning by saying, it's cool, dude. We don't have to talk. She and throws then, a brick up in the air. <laughs> she throws a brick up in the air. And then at the end, it crashes back down in the form of Fernando Vera uh, and some uh, chubby hubby or sorry, chunky monkey yes. uh, in, the, <laughs> the in the sidewalk. Chubby uh, hubby is me to Emily Fox. It's time we talked. Uh, so it is. Uh, it's great the way this works. There's a lot of uh, a lot of just laugh uh, in that. There's a, also DDP sending the text to Janice saying "can't talk," uh, which I don't think is a text you really want to send to your dark army operative uh, who has murder on her mind. But sending a "can't talk" text is great uh, in light of what happens in this episode. Can't talk and. I had when I realized it was going on at some point, I I thought, oh, this is actually what they're doing. And I think it was maybe when they got into virtual realty uh, and Darlene was dealing with her ID not working on purpose. uh, And we didn't see we saw her talking to the guy, but we saw it from Elliot's perspective outside of the building, his reflection in the window in a great shot. And I thought, oh, we're just not going to be talking on screen this episode. And that was that was really great realization. And I didn't feel like it ever the, the episode ever really failed as a result of it. No, definitely not. I mean, I think that there were a few moments where it it came close to straining uh, reality, like when uh, the uh, shout out to to my guy, uh, the great Dolph Lawler. Uh, yeah, what a great name, uh, Dolph Lawler, the security guard who is uh, who is uh, trying to to figure out what the hell is going on at Virtual Realty. I love that he's like an effective character. I love that he's like not an idiot. He's not just like sort of like a mindless security guard. Uh, he's actually like puzzling together, like eh, something seems a little weird. I know I'm probably probably on high alert because I've just been watching Die Hard, uh, but I definitely feel like things are a little bit freaky. There were a couple of moments like when he's face-to-face with Elliot 
in um, on on two different sides of two different doors. Uh, there's when he's like locked in the server room, uh, and then there's when they're both at the stairwell, and they're you know he's trying to open the door, and Elliot's trying to keep it closed. Those are probably two moments where I think uh, some measure of screaming. Uh, like screaming some some measure of language was probably warranted, but that's basically it uh, for me. Other than that, I think it, and even then, I think it's ultimately fine. Um, but those are the only two moments where I felt like maybe some dialogue would have naturally occurred. Otherwise, they presented an episode that was largely dialogue free in a way that felt very earned. Definitely, and. Yeah, there were a couple of those moments, as you're saying. But on the other hand, I, Dolph Lawler whistling to Darlene about her phone or uh, the water bottle situation uh, with 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 him carrying his water bottle around. And just like, I don't know, there were times when he would talk. Would he text the guard instead of calling him? Uh, those, those are honest questions, but it didn't take me out of the episode ever. Uh, it was certainly a testament to how well the episode was made that I never felt like I never shook my head at those details at all. There was at least one detail that I shook my head at, Josh, which I think will trigger for both of us, uh, considering Strigoi, the thing we can't talk about that we've podcasted about Canadian I have no New York. Idea. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we will we will talk about that. There was one little thing in this where I was like, wait a minute, he that okay. But other than that, it was really, really exceedingly well put together. And like I said, the thing that really just stands out to me is the same people made the episode last week, which was definitely poetry, which was definitely more contemplative and interpretive. And then this episode, which was so action oriented and so pulse uh, beating, just such an incredible episode of television to think that the same people made both of them is truly an achievement. As you said, it's a Christmas Day episode. Uh, we see elements of Christmas morning and Christmas Day, which we'll talk about here. We have not yet hit our Christmas night episode, which seems to be directly to come, uh, whether it's one or two. I think it might be two episodes from now, actually, considering what we're going to talk about happens at the very end of this episode. I think we might spend some time dealing with that, not in the evening of the episode. But uh, but yeah, we've got at least three episodes set on Christmas Day. I- I'm glad Mr. Robot wouldn't do it any differently. So a, a couple of things. First of all, to the point of would uh, would Dolph Lawler be calling his buddy rather than texting him? Um, that's very much in line with one of the thematics that Sam Esmail wanted to explore with this episode. I've got an interview up with him at THR.com slash MRRobot right now. And in part, this is what he says uh, to that point. He says, in this day and age, as we're leaning into tech, and of course, our show revolves around tech, a lot of people text and don't call each other it leans into the isolationism uh the isolationism that can be a consequence of technology for a lot of reasons we thought that really worked for this episode uh so once again i think that that idea of like look you can go through a full day of not using your voice at all i certainly have right i know that sounds probably ridiculous as a podcaster who barfs out you know various words per minute all of this of course being pre-written uh and not actually being uh lively spoken uh at this moment um but i i think that that works i think that works really well with what's being expressed and explored in mr robot the idea of elliot being somebody who is through his vast connectivity uh is in in profound ways very a very disconnected individual so playing with that in the form of just uh, an, any kind of communication that needs to occur being nonverbal, uh, I, I thought was was a really, really nice touch and obviously very deliberate on the part of the makers of the show. The other thing is you talk about how last week is, is poetry and this week is this pulse-pounding romp, which I fully agree. 
But what an impressive thing that we're talking about this episode as a pulse-pounding romp when, like, some of the things we're talking about are, like, spending 20 minutes 3D printing out a thumbprint. Uh, we're talking about uh, Elliot, like, sliding onto a floor and sitting down in front of a door and busting open his laptop and with his black leather murder gloves, typing open a key card that's going to open the door in front of him. Uh, him and Darlene standing in front of a terminal and not moving for, like, a solid five, ten minutes, something like that. Uh, and like the the end of the episode is is very obviously outwardly uh, action oriented with Elliot hitting hitting the road and going full Tom Cruise on this piece. Uh, you know the cocktail poster finally paying off uh, that we <laughs> that we finally have uh, Rami Malek gets his Tom Cruise moment running a different all different kind of mask work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, so like that's very obvious, but so much of like the tension and the forward momentum and the pulse pounding nature of the show uh really driven forward i think in in large part by uh by matt quayle matt uh, quayle you know absolutely mvp with the incredible score that is humming beneath everything uh dp todd campbell not ddp dp todd campbell whose uh, cinematography on this show is just epic like that one shot that's like craning down the stairwell as elliot oh, and darlene yeah, the go effect yeah that was amazing yeah. well a, a lot of hitchcockian stuff in right. this episode of like uh, using uh, zoom, like zooming in and zooming out, which is uh, it feels very old school. Not really a technique you see employed on television very often, but like the moments where like Elliot would be on the street, and rather than being a lot of a uh, lot of like quick cuts following him around, like the camera would just like zoom out, and so you would get more of an appreciation of the scope, almost like you were uh, one of those security cameras on a traffic light, uh, you know, looking down at Elliot and, and the world spinning out from there um so it's just it, it's just a lot that is so fascinating visually cinematically in this episode but a lot of the acting like a lot of the actions that are occurring in the episode uh like if you were to describe that to somebody who doesn't watch mr robot you would have to by necessity describe aspects of this episode as two people just like banging away on keyboards and how is that exactly exciting well it's actually really really freaking exciting if you watch how they do it on mr robot and that in and of itself is some measure of poetry antonio yeah i i, I have some egg on my face because i know when we talked about our rewatch at some point i said it's funny how the pilot plays so differently because it feels like this uh, hacker drama where they're racing against time to stop a hack from reaching an infected server. And Elliot's rolling around on the ground and diving and picking things up. And Gideon's right there, and they're jetting from one airport to another uh, to stop this in the middle of the night. And it feels so very like born identity or like a, a real different, like an action movie drama. And I thought from that point on, the show has not really been that. There have been capers and there have been Ocean's Eleven style things. And there's been a lot of tension uh, with Angela placing the femme to sell or moments like that. Uh, but this was this first episode with uh, Elliot and Gideon going to the server farm and Elliot racing to stop the uninfected server and seconds mattering, like a mere matter of seconds counting down that the show felt so very different in that moment. Uh, it certainly doesn't feel different now. Uh, this feels very much like that. And it does feel like an action show, um, which I know that this Sam Asimov had an interview this week, uh, which we, we, uh, I'm sure I know people have been talking about was on fresh air, uh, with the, the great, uh, legendary Terry Gross. And as Sam has said in other places, including in this interview, one of the reasons that Mr. Robot was created is that Sam Esmail felt like hacker culture 
was not uh, accurately depicted in some of the stuff from especially the early 90s, uh, but some of the stuff that's been directly referenced or, or joked about in the show. I think Romero, I had the voice of Sam Esmail at one point standing in for him. Romero, when he and Mobley are watching uh, hackers or TV shows in a hotel and basically saying like this, they never got this stuff right. Like this has never been it. Uh, the social engineering is so much a part of this and they play it like it's an action movie. Well, this was the action movie version of it and it was fantastic. And I think some people might wonder, like, did they, how did Elliot and Darlene get all this together? Like, it just seemed like they, the night before, had to figure out that they had to do this to begin with. And here we have this very complicated action sequence. We can trace the steps of it, but I, I want to point out that before we get into it, Matt Quayle, you, you noted, I think, correctly that he's the MVP of this episode. Just absolutely phenomenal work. But as far as I could tell, his real work in this episode didn't start until almost 10 minutes into it. Um, because at the beginning, uh, we had the, the stuff with the van. Uh, we had Ode to Joy playing as Darlene discovered the van. I'm very but some of it was like kind of her. ominous, and I didn't know if that was like any of his Ode to Joying. Like I didn't. That's a good question. <laughs> I have right? no yeah. idea. Yeah, I hope yeah, so. How it was used. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the, uh, the straight up Kubrick Clockwork Orange uh, Ode to Joy, but it was, yeah, it was done in a certain type of way. Uh, and then, but we had like uh, Frank Sinatra. We had all these other stuff coming in. Uh, and then, when they get to virtual realty, the Mac Wheel kicks into gear. And then from then on, it's like, yes, there are other sound cues. Yes, there are other needle drops. But the Mac Quail just crushes it. And obviously, hilariously, the cell phone ringtone. Uh, there are things like that come in, but the Mac Quail stuff is just pulsating throughout the rest of the episode. So well done. Uh, and and that is, I, I think, like I said, that this is. Both a show that doesn't feel like Mr. Robot and it feels like Mr. Robot is the only show on TV that could do this. Uh, there were even some moments, Josh, that felt like 24. We had some split screens here. I love it. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was so just, it was just such a blast. All right, so let's let's talk about it more specifically. Uh, and I think rather than go scene by scene, uh, you and I agree. I think it's probably more sensible to talk about it story by story. Uh, and the big story, of course, being everything that's going on with Elliot and Darlene. And the episode begins in many ways exactly where we left off last time. Elliot and Mr. Robot setting fire to the van, honoring Tyrell Wellick's final request: destroy the van, go get White Rose. They're certainly going to try and do the second part, but at least they're going to set the van on on fire Darlene with her new vehicle that does not belong to Councilman Jam uh, to Tobias she is able to to keep this car she's going around looking for Elliot uh, she gets to the stop and shop she sees the billowing smoke in the distance she shows up to the van that's on fire Ode to Joy is really ominous humming underneath uh, and it, it cuts out completely when at first she seems like oh god was Elliot in there but no Elliot is at the at the side of the car knocks on the window gets in the vehicle she drives off and says it's cool dude we don't have to talk and that is the end of talking for the vast majority of the episode yeah uh and it is not the end of the communication as your interview pointed out there are a lot of text messages there are a lot there 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 are ways people communicate throughout here uh but it is it is certainly its own thing other TV shows have done the the text message stuff uh i think i saw a modern family episode for example i know uh, where they were primarily text communicating. And I thought it was really cool, the, the way that they pulled that off. And uh, text messages have been a part of uh, of other shows' DNA. Uh, the 
the text messaging in Sherlock is a good example of this. I remember uh, when the BBC Sherlock premiered and I saw the text messages on screen and the way that was playing out. I thought it was very clever uh, and it felt very modern, uh, especially when you're adapting an old work like that. Um, but these are just so they're integrated so seamlessly. Um, we have seen cell phone screens uh, in our faces throughout this show, especially in this season. When we've seen uh, Darlene looking at locations, whether it's in Signal, um, we've seen messages going back and forth between Elliot and Philip Price. Uh, but So this episode doesn't integrate things that aren't already in the DNA of the show. It just does so, so phenomenally. Uh, and yeah, that beginning with the camera panning up to the red light camera, uh, and we see the light turning from red to green, uh, red and green Christmas colors. But in this case, uh, a stop and go is definitely more appropriate. Uh, the, red, the, the red light camera lingering ominously overall. Uh, and certainly connecting them to the scene. Uh, and immediately, of course, we get Janice uh, tying it in. Um, but Elliot and Darlene, they go right back from this upstate New York scenario to Elliot's apartment. Uh, and as I said, it does seem like maybe they wouldn't have had a ton of time to plan this out. But what we see right at the beginning here is we do see on Elliot's screen that they're already working on this. He's got the ID ready. They know they're going to need the ID. The, the, the plan is in place. And they're actually looking at pictures of that server room online. So they know exactly what they need to do. They've done their research, and that's why they're able to pull this off the way that they are. Uh, obviously, Darlene, I think, has to pivot a little bit to get out of there. Um, their exit plan maybe wasn't the best work because they were interrupted. Uh, but it, it did ultimately work out for them because they put the work in. Uh, when they get to virtual realty, it's at like 11 a.m. Uh, right on the dot, that's when Darlene goes in, and that's when Matt Quayle kicks up. And Elliot Josh puts on some black murder gloves. I bet you love that. Yeah, I hope that this doesn't like people like, oh, Tyrell used to wear the blue gloves when it was time to go to work. And now Tyrell's dead, but he's not really because it's Tyrell Elliot. And those wow. are the, the Tyrell gloves that are coming on Elliot, it's just stop it. You, uh, stop I should stop it. I think what was playing there was your recording of those words uh, <laughs> in the Cosby voice. <laughs> just, Shouldn't have done the full Bill Cosby no. English rendition there. Ah, it's so oh, terrible. Elliot puts on the gloves and I Tyrell <laughs> did as well. No, none of that's good. None of that's good. All of that. <laughs> literally all of that is bad. Uh, but yeah, he puts on he puts on the gloves and I did I did love seeing that. Um, I know you would. Yeah. yeah I you would. I, I, and I feel like that was definitely bait for people being like, oh, look at those gloves. Look at those gloves. It's because he's got Tyrell. And I, I think that part of it um, that at least, I don't know if, if, if you would say it arouses suspicion. Um, I don't even know if you would say that it's especially obviously noteworthy, but I do think it is noteworthy, maybe just quietly noteworthy, is the fact that Mr. Robot is not 100% absent from this episode. He is burning the van alongside Elliot at the very, very beginning. But that's it. There's no sign of Christian Slater for the rest of this episode. Uh, and, and I think that that makes sense on a lot of levels if this is going to be such a propulsive uh, episode that is going to be so physical, that's going to require so much actual uh, brick-and-mortar, boots-on-the-ground types of actions uh, occurring. Uh, I don't know how much utility there is in having uh, <laughs> in having the, the ethereal Mr. Robot running through Central Park. Yeah, and his hat and glasses <laughs> flying off behind him. 
fucking up. Yeah, like he slips on the ice and breaks his glasses. I mean, steps on his scarf uh, at one point. I mean, I certainly would crack up, but I don't think that it really would make a ton of sense. He gets um, into the car with Darlene at the end, and he's in the back seat, just like panting, exhausted because he's been running the whole time too. Yeah, but you know, like there when you two sets of footprints in the sand, Josh. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're thinking about all of that though, in in the context of of some of the stuff that we're trying to track with Elliot this season of like, well, holy God, there's another one. Who's the third Elliot? Um, well, we're not seeing Mr. Robot in Mr. Robot form in this episode. So who are we watching when we're watching Elliot in this episode? You know, what are the moments where he's just pure Elliot, if such a person exists? Where are the moments where he's Mr. Robot instead of the Elliot that we typically know? Like, we know that the Mr. Robot side of Elliot can take physical abuse better than, uh, than Elliot Prime, such as Elliot Prime exists. So is it Mr. Robot who like rebounds when he gets hit by a car? And he's like, I got to get this poor kid out of here. Like, you know, what are the ways in which that occurs? Um, but just in terms of like the, the structure of the episode, the pacing of the episode, all of that, would you have preferred there, uh, there had been a way to bring Christian Slater into this episode in a bigger way? Or do you think that it made a lot more sense to, to keep him on the sidelines and keep the, the, the action focused on Rami Malek? It made a lot more sense to keep him on the sidelines, even though I'm still laughing at the idea of him <laughs> getting in that car with Darlene at, when Elliot does at the end and panting and laughing uh, or like just being, shoo, I, you would lose the really great emotional moment of Elliot putting his hand on Darlene's on the stick. I think that's what you need to focus on in that moment. Mr. Robot does not belong in that car like as a sight gag uh, for us to laugh at. Uh, if we're going to get that emotional moment with Elliot and Darlene, it needs to hit the way it hit. So I, I like it better without Mr. Robot for sure. I, you say some interesting stuff when you talk about like what, who is Elliot and what moment? Because at the beginning, uh, when Elliot comes back to his apartment and Darlene's in the bathroom getting ready, putting her wig on, putting her Dolores Hayes outfit on, uh, Elliot has that moment where he collapses to the floor after he's washed some of the blood off of his hands and, he is really upset and he is on the verge of a breakdown. I mean, this is a guy who needs sleep badly. Uh, and it is only Darlene coming out of the bathroom that snaps him back up to his feet. And it does make you wonder, like, what Elliot were we about to see there? And was Elliot giving in to something that maybe he doesn't? And if we have talked, as we have on this podcast, about uh, if the other one, the one that we're not ready to see yet, is the one that Elliot's not ready to embrace yet, uh, and therefore we're not ready uh, in that moment, is if he, if it's like the Elliot who's fully vulnerable, the Elliot who is fully, uh, you know, coming to grips with all aspects of his personality, it is those moments of vulnerability that he's not even allowing himself to have uh, because he's so caught up in these moments. So we have seen a vulnerable Elliot in the past, and we've seen it even on this in the course of this season. We've seen moments of that breaking through uh, with Olivia, for example. But we're not ultimately seeing himself even let himself have that moment in in the beginning of this episode, and then throughout because the action is so intense and it is so moment to moment. Uh, so it makes sense, I think, that whatever there are, whatever those things are that that aren't Elliot Prime, that aren't Elliot that we know, uh, that we won't see them. Although I do agree with you, it probably is something like. Mr. Robot helping him get picked up off the ground and in another episode or another version of this we probably would have seen that uh, and we have seen that uh, we also have to recall that at least seemingly Mr. Robot pushed Elliot off of 
the rail in season one. Maybe it wasn't Mr. Robot. Maybe that was some other version of the other or the other one. Uh, TBD on that, I suppose. But um, maybe it was Mr. Robot that helped him jump over the rail this time, for example, and roll down the hill. Uh, like maybe it was Mr. Robot that was pushing him forward a lot of these times. Maybe it was Mr. Robot who pushed him out the door uh, when he knocked over Dolph and ran out the door. So maybe some of those alpha moments were Mr. Robot. Or maybe it is just Elliot realizing there's Mr. Robot in him and in the moment just reacting. And if it's the latter, I do feel like it's a progression for him. And it's a progression for us as viewers not looking at that, not seeing that, and just seeing Elliot. Uh, there's definitely some significance to that. As far as Tyrell, um, he is in the episode, I think, twice uh, in small ways. Uh, the first time at the beginning of the episode when Elliot is going through and collecting evidence and burning the van, we see Tyrell's cell phone, right? Uh, that's Joanna and the baby as the wallpaper. Uh, Elliot picks the cell phone up, I think, and destroys it. So um, that was at like 7 in the morning that moment, uh, and I, I do believe that that was Tyrell's cell phone there in the snow. Um, we don't see a body. Do you think that there's any significance to that, Josh? No, he wandered off into the woods to be alone and far away from anybody finding him so that he wouldn't be discovered and identified. Uh, So I think for him to not be found would be mission accomplished in Tyrell's mind. I think that there's probably going to be a level of ambiguity surrounding Tyrell Wellick's death forever. Would be my guess. Or he's alive. And like, we'll find out that he's alive deeper into the season. Uh, and I'd been, I've been had uh, in terms of the interview content that I have published. Certainly possible and would not be a first. Uh, you know, you got to leave that door open. I'd be disappointed, but uh, you know, you could, you got to leave that door open. Um, but my guess would be that the idea of last week's episode being a little bit of like uh, an alien oddball send off to an alien oddball character that they are going to leave it enigmatic. And the confirmation of Tyrell's death, as far as I was concerned, without seeing the body and bucking that, you know, that trope of like, if you don't see the body, they're not dead, uh, you know, rule was, yeah, like for for me, it, it's it's Elliot texting Price and say, Tyrell's not coming tonight. Uh, you know, strongly indicates at the very least Elliot's belief that Tyrell is dead. Um, also, Elliot's emotion in that moment that you're describing when he's crumpled in the corner after he's after he's washed some blood off of himself. He's just been through a thing. And this one guy who he barely gave a thought about, who clearly had thought so much about him, died for his mission is a heavy concept and a heavy thing to be dealing with. And I think in that moment... That's Elliot reconciling, uh, or at least uh, beginning the process of reconciling the death of Tyrell Wellick. Um, Definitely. So that's how I take it. I, I I don't take anything about the fact that his his body is gone. And I know that you're going to bring up one of the other Tyrell sightings that we get in yes. this episode, which uh, which which feels like the ghost of Tyrell still hanging out with Elliot and still looking out for his buddy. Right, and that's when Elliot is running and running and running, and he's been through the park, and he emerges. And he doesn't really have an option to go to, and he sees a bus, and he runs up to the bus. And on the side of the bus is an ad for E-Corp, uh, and accompanying the ad for E-Corp is Tyrell Wellick's face on the side of the bus. And that's the bus Elliot gets on. Blink and you miss it, but it is definitely there. Uh, and so I, I do think that's a little bit of a you know the ghost of Christmas present or the ghost of Christmas past, or however you want to put it. I do think that that's a, just a nod to say Tyrell's helping Elliot in this moment, like Tyrell's presence is is aiding Elliot uh, along his path here. 
Uh, and I'm not sure that we'll see any more of Tyrell or if, or if we will see more of Tyrell. Um, the idea that Tyrell won't show up is a, is a thing. Like, that's a thing that Philip Price gets the text message from Elliot saying uh, Tyrell won't be there tonight, as you're indicating. Uh, and I just laughed that, like, that's a – do you think at that point Philip Price knew Tyrell was dead? Yeah, I think that that's what that means. I, I think you can like. I mean, see it definitely it means face. it from Elliot, but yeah. I think Philip Price knows as no, well. Like, oh, that's what, what the hell? Like, yeah. what the hell happened here? Yeah, he's like, oh, shit show city over here. Merry, yes, merry exactly. freaking Christmas. Here's a sweet lump of coal. Uh, right. Yeah, I think that you, you get that sense. I mean, a lot of Price, uh, you know, we're, we're skipping to the Price storyline, but there's not a ton to talk about with the Price storyline anyway, so I don't mind just kind of clearing it off the deck here. Uh, is what, what I love about it is... There, there is that Hitchcockian thriller vibe throughout this episode, and sort of that, um, that kind of like really old school feeling. This sort of like procedural, like cloak and dagger quality to this episode, and it's it's really apparent in the Price storyline where he's out uh, to breakfast by himself on Christmas morning. Uh, he sees the family nearby that is all there that's gathered here for their own, you know, whatever their Christmas tradition is. Uh, and this is like the, the one of the most powerful people on the planet this is the one of the things that's unattainable for him, right? Like he can have all of this money, he can have all of these resources, but he can't have a family. Yeah, and he's a great little moment. And, and he's watching that, you know, in the, in the wake of just a couple of months after, you know, not literally watching his daughter die, but being, you know, 50 feet away from the act uh and he gets the check but he didn't order the check and he's got this look on his face of like oh what the hell i didn't <laughs> order the check uh but then he opens it up and it's coded message and it's telling him go outside and give money to the to the you know the, the trumpet player and so he's got this look of kind of like quiet disdain on his face during that and then when he goes to the trumpet player there is this look still of quiet disdain on price there as he's giving him the 20 dollars and he's taking the message and his eyes are just kind of glued on the trumpet player as though his eyes are glued on the process and the ridiculousness of the process and the fact that he has to be going through this espionage ringer and it's really really funny uh that like this is probably the final christmas day that philip price will ever have i have to imagine this man yeah. is not long for life in fact he may not survive the day would be my bet right. um and there is just this oh come on this is how i'm spending the final morning of my life type of deal and of course part of it also is um i don't know when you pieced together that this was all um you know an elaborate way of inviting him to the deus gathering later that evening we already knew that white rose is planning for this to happen a lot faster than both elliot and price were prepared for um but I don't know if like the the general suspicion and, and paranoia and tension of the rest of the episode did that throw you off at all into wondering like what exactly is going on with Price uh, or were you were you pretty hit pretty quickly to the fact that this was just sort of like elaborate invite stuff? No, I didn't know uh, at all until I saw the final card. Actually, I was pretty thrown off, generally speaking, uh, that that was what was happening. So I I was lost in that, and part of why I was lost is I was lost in Michael Christopher. And his performance, you mentioned the moment at breakfast when he looks over at the family. You mentioned his disdain for the guy <laughs> slamming the check <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah. But he also has that moment, right, where he's where he first, before he approaches the trombone player, he comes out and he looks up at his beloved E-Corp and he almost hugs the E. Like he almost puts his arms around the E and hugs it. It's that level of like, oh, am I looking at my beloved company for the last time? Am I looking at this building 
that I was the titan of. This is my castle, and I was the king. Is this my last view of it? Is, and, and I think some of the disdain from the process comes from dragging him to that very specific point and making him experience uh, one last dance with Lady E, as you will. Oh, boy, that was pretty, that was pretty lame. Uh, what, well, you know, he's just looking at his building one last time. Uh, and I do think there is that element of Michael Christopher's performance where he sort of gazes up, and the building is presented in the scene behind him when we see this sh- uh, the shot from the trombone player's point of view, and we see the building behind Philip Price, and it's a, it's a you know, the, the shot at the angle uh, from from below him there is just, uh, he looks like an icon. He looks like a king and his castle is behind him. And yet we as an audience are, we know that this is probably his last night on earth. Uh, or if it's not his last night, it could easily be one of his very last nights on earth. And it certainly seems like it's his last Christmas. And so it is, uh, I think all very well done, just like the loneliness of his giant, whatever he is, if that's his, uh, if it's his penthouse or if it, whatever his apartment is there at the end, um, there's huge hallways and giant empty rooms, and he's all alone there on Christmas. Uh, and he's got the dry cleaning hanging up, and he just takes the, the cover off and pulls the card out of the pocket. Uh, he has not done that as soon as he picked up the dry cleaning, which is what I would have done. He's waited until he got home, uh, and he's hung it up even, and then he takes it off and does it. Um, this is a man who is, I think, savoring some of his final moments. Uh, what about the Brentano? Is the Brentano somewhere that's familiar to you at all? I, some of the places no. in this episode are familiar, uh, and we can get, we'll get into that. Uh, I'm ready. To, I'm ready. As to whether they, uh, <laughs> no, I'm ready. Whether they, I'm ready to get into it. Cause yeah, but, yeah, the, the places that, that price is at, uh, the place that he's, at, he's at Bruckman's restaurant. Yeah, he's getting summoned to the Brentano for, uh, where everything is going to go down. These are not places that are on my, my radar. Yeah, uh, Brentano's was a bookstore i remember um but i don't know i don't I mean, that's one of those dead bookstore chains unfortunately i don't know of it as any kind of building in new york it's not like he was going to somewhere that you might expect like the dakota uh or some crazy kind of uh old money weird building uh that you might hear of in new york yeah in there's Tano, a place near know. um near madison square park called the clock tower that would have been very yeah. appropriate for white rose oh uh, that's i like that uh, i like that yeah uh, but this is a so he's got an invitation to the meeting he knows the meeting's on he's texting elliot the meeting's on elliot knows the meeting's on Elliot, though, uh, through his own capers and through Darlene's capers, they they did seem to succeed in their capers. Is that the way you read it? Yes, that is the way that I read it. Right, like and and what they're aiming for is to have. I guess like I'm a little confused exactly what it is they needed to walk away from there with. I guess that they're they're getting. They're getting administrative access yes. to Cyprus, Cyprus National, National Bank. Bank. Yep. Yep. Uh, so at this point, all they need are the numbers from the uh, the Deus group. And if they're able to get that, and that is what Price summoning everybody for the same room will accomplish... That once they get, once they're able to get past two factor authentication, and they've done the Susan Jacobs bit now, right? Like they don't yes. need Susan Jacobs. This is Correct. the Susan Jacobs bit. Right. Now, theoretically, tonight, 
they should be able to kill the Davis group. So what the hell is about to go horribly, horribly wrong? Is it as simple as the fact that Elliot just got wrecked by, by getting hit yeah. with a car and yeah. running from Chelsea to the Upper West okay. Side? Now you want to talk about it. <laughs> that, you know, is this, is it as simple as the fact that he's just physically brutalized, that he's not going to be on his game at this point? Because otherwise, theoretically, uh, they should be right in the thick of it, right? They should be just a few keystrokes away from closing the deal. Definitely. And we know there aren't, uh, there are more than just a few episodes left. Uh, so it doesn't. The shit's like- going to go south for sure. Or the shit will work, uh, and the aftermath of the shit going south, or the aftermath of the shit working, uh, will will cause something else to go south, right? Right, uh, and we'll have a major problem. So that's, uh, I think that's the part where where we're really going to find out. And I, like I said, I don't know that it'll be next episode. It could be two episodes from now. Uh, we're not watching any of the trailers or any of that. I, I didn't even watch the season. I watched the season trailer one time. So there are those of you in the audience, I'm sure, who have seen stuff from the season trailer that you haven't seen on these episodes, and you're wondering when it's going to come, and that's influencing what you think will happen in these upcoming episodes. Uh, I have not done that. I, I I watched it once before I saw any of the episodes. I already forget what was in it uh, to the point where I don't remember. I'm, I'm not waiting for X scene or why scene to happen. So my guess is next episode, we'll spend a lot of time with Krista and Vera. Uh, and I don't know how that will bring Elliot into the mix, uh, but maybe Elliot will be summoned uh, by Vera via Krista. I assume Krista's uh, partner, lover, whatever you want to call him, Jason, showing yeah. up is going to be a bad deal. Uh, the J to her bay. Uh, I, I'm assuming that that's not going to end well uh, for probably him and maybe for Krista. Uh, but I, I assume Elliot's going to be caught up with some of that right now. Or maybe the Krista of it all is going to sidetrack what Elliot could do tonight with the meeting. And Elliot won't be able to do the Cypress National uh, Bank thing because of the Vera thing. Like maybe that's what's going to happen. And so maybe Elliot's going to have to have a plan B and this caper will all be for naught. Uh, TBD, I suppose, on that. But I... That, that I think, is probably what we're going to deal with next episode. And then the meeting, uh, maybe some more of the episode after that. Or it could all happen in one episode. But uh, regardless, uh, I, I do feel like it's not going to go perfectly. So It's probably not. Um, all right. The running. The running. The running. The so much running and the great expanse of New York that is cleared in the running. Talk to me about this. <laughs> we we had staked out in discussing 404 that Darlene, who is standing outside of virtual realty where the heist takes place in this episode, uh, you ID'd it, a positive ID from Detective Mazzaro, uh, Captain Mazzaro, to use your masked identity. Uh, you ID'd that positively as the same street where the experimental show Sleep No More is produced, which places virtual realty in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York. Just kissing Hell's Kitchen, Antonio. This is not easily traversable from here to Central Park. Certainly not with policemen pursuing you on foot. You're talking about clearing like 25 blocks to get from virtual realty in Chelsea to Central Park, where Elliot is glimpsed very, very quickly after hitting 
the road. Antonio, Canadian New York has returned. It has returned Strigoi. 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 It's it's more like 30 blocks and like at least two avenues. Uh, uh, 30 streets and two avenues. Strigoi. 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 It's def. First of all, they're definitely on Twenty Seventh Street. Uh, you can pull up the block if you would like. Uh, I, if you do, I would recommend that you look at what I believe uh, is called Aperture Foundation. Uh, it might be. It might be a different uh, name. It might not. But I think that that is the store. The storefront uh, or that area generally is where uh, the virtual realty was set. Uh, and if you want to pull up the, the Google Maps of that, what you can see in the background are some of the signs that we see, uh, including, as I said, for TMZ's notorious uh, New York Strip Club scores, where a lot of athletes have gotten in trouble over the years. It's been in the news a ton, uh, such that when I went to uh, Sleep No More, the McKittrick Hotel, which is on that same block of 27th Street, I was like, oh, my God, scores. Like, I've heard of that place uh, because it's in the news all the time for guys like Jeremy Shockey and old athletes getting in trouble there. So... I definitely heard of it. If you pull up the block, uh, you can see the virtual realty storefront essentially right next door. Uh, this, the sign from scores is visible in the background um, from the Elliot's point of view when he lights up the cigarette uh, before he runs in after Darlene uh, when Darlene drops her bag. Uh, so we know that that's the block. You can also see the very unique graffiti that's on some of the gates. Uh, very popular, commonly Instagram spot out front of the McKittrick Hotel. Uh, if you're looking right there across the street, some black and white art graffiti uh, that's there. So it is all very much uh, there. Um, what I would say is some things are not there. The High Line is not in the shot. Uh, High Line Park, yeah, which is for people who do not know New York very well. It is uh, an above ground, old, retired subway train. Track, uh, that has since been converted into a park uh, to to have filmed the running sequence on the High Line would have been interesting because it's essentially uh, a very windy, uh, really cool scenic corridor, uh, but would also have been a disaster because it is so crowded. The High Line is so, so crowded that Elliot would have been caught instantly if he had tried to make a break for it on the High Line and it would have made no sense. Yeah, and it may be Skylight Modern, which is an art gallery next door that is there. But if you look on, that is where Virtual Realty is, that as the front. But if you if you just look at that street, you can see uh, things in the background. And it was there when Darlene was present last episode, like I said. But because of the High Line's notoriety, or I don't know why, it, 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 was, it was not visible in the shot. I think it had been digitally altered. Regardless of any of that, uh, where you're talking about, as you said, Josh, it's in Chelsea. Uh, it's a 27th Street and maybe 10th Avenue. Uh, so you're talking about running over a couple of avenues and up from 27th Street to the if you go like just if you want to go to like conservatively with a bottom of the park, you're still talking about like 59th Street, 58th Street, like that area. And you have to be uh, like getting past Port Authority. Uh, you probably have to run at least on the outskirts of Times, Times Square, Square, which right, is a yeah. freaking Nightmare Strigoi! Like, yeah. it's not good! It is right. not okay! Especially at Christmas? Yeah, it's just not 
good. All these things at Christmas. Uh, so we know at one point Elliot did get on a bus, but that was after he had been through a lot of the park. And yeah. we know he ends up in like the Upper West Side, actually. He's somewhere in like the neighborhood. The blocks are like, uh, like he's like at like 103rd, I think we see, or like 104th when Darlene pulls up his location on the map. So, or maybe he's like close to 97th, but either way, he's like way up there. He basically, oh, he's like, yeah, he's at like 117th, I think I have in my notes when Darlene looks at his location. Uh, whether or not that's right or not, he would be in Harlem at that point. Uh, either way, just from the action of the show, uh, he basically ends up at West 57th uh, almost immediately. Like almost instantly yeah. from from twenty seventh, so uh, he 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 runs either very quickly or we missed him getting on the metro, um, which is entirely possible. Uh, maybe he got on the he metro. Yeah, some gapping could be going yeah. on, and they're just yada yadaing past some of that stuff yeah. or whatever. But, or you just need to forgive it and just like be like super pumped about the fact that it's so much fun to watch, which is where I'm leaning towards. But as a New Yorker, I couldn't help but be like, ah, <laughs> Canadian New York has returned. Well, and and. Like we have to say, the time when he jumps from essentially twenty seventh to fifty seventh is when Darlene runs upstairs to the third floor and formulates her plan of how to look like she's just left the gym, uh, getting the sweat jacket and the water bottle, and kind of walking out of the gym uh, so that she can uh, casually slip out of the building unnoticed. Very impressive. Yeah, that is when she's doing that. So was there some time where she was formulating that plan? Uh, is that time something where Elliot hops on a train? Uh, it's funny because it, a long time ago, uh, we talked about, I believe in season two, they did like a Mr. Robot game on Alexa. Uh, and it was a choose your own adventure type game. And part of the game was essentially getting through New York after all of the 5-9 hack had made the city start to fall apart and essentially getting across town and uptown uh, with, uh, you know, non-traditional means and running throughout the city, essentially ending up in a certain type of place. So this is something that I think the show has considered in the past as as an achievement. And Elliot certainly does it on foot. Uh, he's got to be exhausted. The man has not slept. Um, as you've pointed out, regardless of the Canadian New York of it all, the shots of him running, uh, especially the ones you, you've mentioned that are remin reminiscent of the best of like 1970s, especially American cinema, uh, pulling back the camera to show the scope of what's going on uh, and see Elliot as a character so that the city itself is almost a character in what's going on. Um, those are so realistic and so like not manufactured in, in, in the way that, you know, other action uh, can be manufactured through cuts or through uh, other tricks. Um, one of the other things that's manufactured is that the NYPD didn't just shoot on sight. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, uh, yeah. the idea that just two beat cops would be chasing him down. It feels very antiquated. Yeah. It feels very old school. It feels like not very modern and not very uh, in line with a lot of what we've seen, unfortunately, in the news over the last several years is that it doesn't take much for police officers uh, in a lot of instances like this. I mean, we don't find out about the ones where they, the, the job is done correctly and no uh, extra judicial violence is used, but we certainly see enough of instances of that to know that it goes on regularly. Uh, so Elliot's lucky in that regard that that didn't happen to him here. Uh, maybe it's just because he was a, he was not even he was like a person of interest. Uh, probably also doesn't hurt that he doesn't have darker skin. Uh, there's a lot of that 
certainly present uh, in in this story. You can't do a story about the NYPD chasing people down uh, and not at least think about that and not at least think about people like Eric Garner and people who have been victims to the NYPD. So uh, definitely shout out to the people that do their job properly and that we don't hear about. And it's one of those instances here, although they didn't do it that well because there weren't that many of them. Uh, and it seemed like two guys were chasing Elliot for 30 blocks and then he got on a bus uh, after he left the park and only then did other police show up. So that's the part where it's like, why didn't they just call for backup and what happened here and how long was he really running? Uh, but I love the shots of the park. Josh, this was filmed in the summertime. I know some shots of the filming leaked. Uh, and we saw, for example, Elliot running through the park uh, with two police chasing him. That's a shot that leaked uh, that was out there in the uh, Mr. Robot atmosphere in the summer. What that means is they had to set up that ice skating rink in the summertime with yes. all those extras. That is wild. Yes, man. yes. Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of this exterior work on Mr. Robot this season, one of the consequences of this taking place during Christmas, during the heart of winter, uh, is and they're producing this, you know, in spring and summer months. Is that these people are going to be very hot because they, <laughs> they got it's be, wearing a black hoodie and sprinting. You know, people wearing their puffy coats. They're you know, they're skating. no wonder they didn't show them running through the port authority. <laughs> they're skating on ice. I mean, it's just rough. It's rough. Absolutely rough. Uh, I'm glad that I missed the... Uh, I didn't realize that photos of this had leaked. Um, I don't know that it would have necessarily ruined anything for me because I think I probably would have just assumed walking into the season that shit's going to get real for Elliot at some point and him being chased by police officers through New York is not a huge leap. Uh, makes sense uh, that something like that could occur in the final season. Uh, but I am ultimately glad that I didn't. Uh, I didn't see much of this in advance. Were you surprised uh, that we didn't see him run past Trump Tower? <laughs> yeah. Actually, now that you bring it up, yeah, especially because we've definitely had Trump on the show in other ways uh, that if we're, you know, we're not far uh, from the area. I mean, if they were going to do a Home Alone 2 lost in New York, I'm surprised he didn't just encounter him uh, at the <sighs> Plaza Hotel. Oh, I almost just threw up in my mouth. That could have been the way. You could have uh, run into him. Uh, I purposely did not record Donald Trump impressions when we recorded all the I words because I didn't want my my voice to be used in that. Yes, one. nor did I, nor did I. Good for you. I'm yeah. glad for that. Yeah, uh, I'm also glad for the fact that, as I said, Elliot escaped to the Tyrell bus. Um, he does get hit by a car. Do you <laughs> just... Uh, it's a weird just thing how, to say. I know how casually you said yeah. it. He, he just got get hit by a car. Uh, <laughs> this episode is so good. <laughs> um, it's crazy. So and on the bus are all the... Uh, like They're all people in costume from like uh, some kind of... Uh, I don't know if it was a live nativity or some kind of Christmas project for sure. Uh, when he's laying on the ground there, there's a moment where his eyes are closed and the camera's kind of panning around him and up to his face. Uh, I'm assuming that we don't have any kind of moment there where something was switched and uh, he's dead when he gets hit by the car and everything after that. Uh, there's no read. No, that, right? God, no, absolutely. Uh, you should know by now from me that like I maybe to, to my detriment eventually, but I, I'm almost refusing to read the show in, in those terms uh, unless there's something that's really, really fairly obvious like there's a and I didn't get anything like that. The most that I would be willing to say and I, I had spoken around this before is that that moment when he gets hit by the car and he's on the ground for like a solid like 15 seconds before he gets back up is is that 
the more Mr. Robot side of him that's that's awake when he when he gets back up. Is that like that piece of him that's like driving him to be like, get up, kid. Come on, kid. You got to move. Um, because we have seen Mr. Robot weather physical abuse uh, in a way that is um, uh, much more um, capable than than Elliot Prime. Um, so is that a switch? Is that a switch that you see? Like, do you see a different one of Elliot's personalities taking over in that moment? Entirely um, possible. Yeah. yeah. I that That's the thing is I don't know... The Darlene of it all, when Darlene looked at his location and saw he was at like uh, 97th and Central Park West or whatever that was, uh, at that point, if she's on 27th, I mean, I don't, just the New York of it all, she's got to drive the same place it would have been crazy for him to run through. Um, Maybe she goes up West End Avenue and cuts over or something like that and avoids a lot of that uh, insanity around Midtown, uh, especially, I mean, it's not like she's driving cross town, but it, she would have had to drive a while too. So I, I thought to myself, like the fact that she's essentially there after he gets hit by a car, I didn't really spend a lot of time trying to parse out the timing of all of this, how long he was on the bus, uh, you know, how long after he was on the bus, was he on the ground? Like I, it, it seems so moment to moment. I've watched the episode three times now, and it never didn't work for me in terms of that, um, in, in terms of it feeling like a block. The running thing I noticed right away, uh, because I, <laughs> I knew he ran from Chelsea to Central Park, and even I as a non-New Yorker thought, wait a minute, like that is not something you do in two blocks. So, right, right. Uh, but the, the timing of it still works for me regardless. But I think some people may look at that moment he's on the ground and think, like, how long was he actually out and whether or not something else happened there. And I think your read of it is the best one that maybe – what we might have got in another version of this episode or an older version of this episode is Mr. Robot leaning over him and saying, like, come on, kid, you got to get up. Like, you got to, you know, we, we, we're almost through. We didn't do all of this just to fail uh, because of a stupid driver or whatever. Or Mr. Robot even yelling at the driver, maybe. We, we would have seen something that like that very after funny. he got up. Yes. Like, you know, like something like that. Like, this is my son or whatever it is, you know, like. You gotta pay attention to where you're going, fucko, or whatever. Yeah, eyes on the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like I'm walking like, here. Yeah, <laughs> like anything like full that. Full on Ratso Rizzo, yeah. like yeah, midnight cowboy slamming the front of the car, whatever it is. But uh, we don't get that. Uh, so I think people may speculate, and I think what you're speculating about is a good connection there. Um, that it it could have just easily been Mister Robot uh, in the way. Um, and then of course Elliot takes the he he looks over when when he gets up. Uh, he looks over the the wall there. Uh, and he is being cornered, surrounded. Finally, there are more police involved. Uh, and I do think at that point he sees the car down there and he knows if he takes the header, Darlene will be there. It's not a thing where he takes the header and she shows up. Yeah, I would guess so. But the other thing that is almost even more important to me um, is how this how this moment where he throws himself over the side, how that interplays with one of the the great formative moments in Elliot Alderson's life is him jumping out the window as a kid, uh, you know, and spending so much of his time thinking that his father had pushed him out the window, but he actually jumped. Uh, And here he is again, this time, knowingly taking a huge jump. Um, And if that was a transformative moment earlier in his life, uh, you know, maybe not quite as um, profound as like splitting him off into different identities this time around, if that is what triggered that for him when he was a younger person, um, at the very least, this was one of those inflection points of like, you don't throw yourself over and you get arrested by the police. You throw yourself over and your already ravaged body is ravaged further, but you may be able to escape. And that's the route that he chooses. And I thought that that was really, really fun in the context of Elliot's famous, uh, you know, moment of, of you know, a, a few, a, a couple of moments where he's, um, you know, whether he jumped when he was a kid 
or Mr. Robot pushed him in Coney Island in season one. Um, so this was just a great moment that's really part of the language of Mr. Robot. Um, this idea of Elliot jumping and these leaps of faith uh, or, or lack of faith occasionally. Um, it's really, really cool to see that here on uh, what ends up being something of a Christmas miracle for him uh, that Darlene is at the foot of the hill. Yeah, and as I mentioned, uh, not only is that a good connection, there is the Elliot pushing himself off the rail uh, at Coney Island uh, that we'll have to talk about if we ever decide uh, who the other one is uh, and whether where both of those things fit, where the window incident fits and where the what we read right now is an attempt on his own life uh, at Coney Island on the rail fit uh, in, in terms of if the other guy is present in those scenes or not. Uh, but um, they are both pretty formative events that we have either seen on the show in one way, shape or form with the window pushing or seen in a couple ways uh, in the case of the rail pushing here. It seemed to be an affirmative choice, not only because he was cornered, but because he knew he had a way out. Uh, and I think those two things together uh, combine not necessarily to be formative directly, but because we have seen Elliot, for example, in the bank scene uh, with the safe deposit box earlier this season, when he and Darlene share the tender moment uh, where they're listening to the tape of the three of that, the two of them with Angela recording a birthday or Mother's Day message to Mrs. Moss. Um, what we see here is Elliot, uh, when he gets in the car, um, Darlene's hand is on the stick. And as I discussed earlier, uh, Elliot places his hand on hers. And it, it is a tender moment. It is a sweet moment. Uh, it is certainly a moment of exhaustion, but a moment of when I'm at my lowest ebb, when I'm almost dead, when I'm almost cornered, when I've been hit by a car, uh, when I didn't think I would ever make it, you were there. When I jumped off a cliff, you were there at the bottom to pick me up. Uh, and I think that moment um, is not necessarily formative, like I'm saying, but I think important. And I think a really well-landed moment to end this episode for these two characters, considering everything they went through together throughout. Uh, we heard Darlene when she was getting his location and signal, which has now come up twice in one episode, very significantly. We heard Darlene basically say, like, I'm in on this. Every hack you've ever done, I was a huge part of it. And we saw just how vital she was to the plan uh, and how it wouldn't have been executed without her uh, today. Uh, uh, if Elliot had not let her in uh, in this episode uh, or before this episode, this never would have been pulled off. And we don't know what would have happened. We still don't know, as we talked about, whether it will ultimately be successful, whether or not all of this will be for naught, uh, because something happens when Tyrell doesn't show up or something happens with Krista that sidetracks Elliot or something happens that fails with their hack because Elliot is short circuiting in some way because he's just been hit by a car. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, in this moment, it worked. It succeeded. They were there for each other. And it was a very powerful moment for me uh, when the, he placed his hand on hers as they, as they were driving away. Now, speaking of them driving away, Josh, the DDP of it all, uh, the DDP, of course, in this episode gets an early text from Janice where she replies, can't talk. Uh, and she says, uh, can't talk and goes back to what was happening. Uh, she can't go celebrate Christmas because Janice is sending her upstate because there was a dark army van that was found burned and she needs her involved there. Uh, at that point, DDP does go upstate, immediately notices the red light camera, immediately gets stuck in with the locals and is able to execute some dark army planning, uh, much to her chagrin, seemingly. Uh, there are, there, it's a difficult episode for DDP. I thought 
DDP storyline in this episode much better, as you might say, uh, than her uh, episode, their, her storyline last episode in terms of what it contributed to the overall narrative of what's going on with DDP. Last episode was very much about how she was feeling closed in and how it was on her mind. We saw that in this episode, but I think we saw it much more efficiently and effectively as part of the story. Yeah, and I think it definitely develops her in a surprising way insofar as we learn that Dominic DiPiero is a cookie thief. <laughs> she's at least misrepresenting, right? Like she's at least misrepresenting that she did not bake these cookies. She puts them in a Tupperware like she did, but they came from a store tin. She stole the cookies. Who stole the cookies from the cookie jar? Is DDP. Yeah, DDP, the cookie thief, the uh, cookie monster. There's there's a couple of developments on the DDP Race front. Crummer? Does that work? No. <laughs> Blah. Oh, my God. That was terrible. Blah. Oh, God. I would say so that was sorry. the worst bit I've been involved with in a podcast in the last five days, but it's not true. Yeah, uh, thanks, Mike Bloom. Shout out, shout out to Count Jacula, uh, who I... Who, oh, God. Kill Count Jacula forever. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the, <laughs> the best... The garlic microphone. I love it. I love it. Oh, it was so funny. Um, the, the the DDP stuff is is great on a couple of levels where now her story is in a position to collide with Elliot and Darlene, right? Like she she gets the the traffic uh, cam footage of Elliot and Darlene driving away. Um, was so so it's important to make this distinction. Was that was that image that Janice sends to Dom? Is that from? The stoplight at, uh, at at Pike's Hollow, or is that from them escaping in the in the at the end of this episode? I got the impre- the impression that I get. Uh, shout out Dickie Barrett was that um, that was from the red light camera. Okay, uh, just because it had been like Chekhov's red light camera, right? Like it had been introduced at the beginning in the first act of the episode. I'd have to compare I mean, and contrast the like. It, I, I think obviously Elliot just always wears what Elliot wears, but is right. is, is Darlene wearing something different? Um, the reason why it would matter is if that's footage from uh, from them escaping from the virtual realty caper. Uh, which you know is already making headlines as like the the Yuletide. Uh, I forget exactly what uh, Yule, Yuletide hijinks in Central Yule, Park. Yuletide or mayhem at yeah. Central Park is what it is. You know, if this is from the but Yule not t- from twenty seventh to fifty seventh, just in Central Park. If this is from the Yuletide mayhem at Central Park, um, then we're walking away from this episode. Yes, with Elliot and Darlene having successfully uh, bought themselves access to site. Cyprus, um, but also being wanted in New York, right? And with like with footage and, and and pictorial evidence of their faces to match. And good thing we're on a tight timeline here as we're pushing towards the end of Mr. Robot, where this is uh, you know a, a a veritable twenty four season that we're talking about here. Uh, because if they were expected to be, uh, you know, stretched out over the next several days, even weeks, uh, then they would probably be in in quite the jam. Um, but if it's the red light footage from upstate New York, which I know we're not supposed to talk about, um, then it, I, I'm a little less concerned. Darlene's uh, wearing the fur coat and hat in the picture. Uh, which I do not believe she was last seen wearing. I think she was wearing that gym coat um, and no hat uh, in the great. the moment when Elliot and she were driving away. Great, great, great. So I think it is a red light camera for sure. Because you're right. Like the thing is, 
take the uh, the red this light is a better, out of it. This is a better deal for them, for sure. For a Definitely. lot of reasons. One, it means that they have not been positively ID'd in the city of New York on Christmas Day. And even if it's a little sleepier on Christmas Day, apparently, that you could run from Chelsea to Central Park being pursued on foot by only two police officers and not attract the attention of so many other police officers along the way. Uh, uh, then, you know, forgiving all of that, they're also now officially being tracked by a woman who knows them, uh, by a woman who has had it up to here, flames on the side of her face when it comes to the Dark <laughs> Army. Flames? That, you know, independently of this, she has written down the license plate and location of two of the vans that are watching her family, right? So, like, Dom, who's having nightmares about Dark Army, is already getting herself into a position, you would assume, where this is just not going to sit with her well for too long. It's also worth noting um, that the Irishman, not the Robert De Niro Irishman, uh, but the the, but the man who, uh, the disappearer, uh, not Robert Forrester, R.I.P., uh, but the Irishman disappearer that, uh, that Dom had been interrogating earlier in the season appears to have been released. This catches her attention uh, as she finds out about this in this episode. Is Dom going to be a bit more emboldened to make some moves against the Dark Army? And as this emboldened Dom DiPiero is now actively being put on the path of Ellie and Darlene, is that ultimately going to be good for Elliot and Darlene, if bad for Dom in the long haul? Um, but I wonder, I think Janice putting Dom directly on their path, making her work overtime on a Christmas too, is really not helping her case for fostering loyalty with the Dark Army. Um, but I think that where we leave things with Dom, Elliot, and Darlene being on something of a collision course, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about Dom's role in this, uh, this triumvirate. As am I, uh, for sure. And you can foresee a scenario where the Irishman helps uh, DDP, but maybe Elliot and Darlene decline uh, because they feel like their mission isn't finished, right? Like that could be a thing that happens. Uh, the Irishman is definitely not in here by accident, I would say. I think it does mean we're going to get Michael Christopher being de-aged uh, and him playing a young... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. That would be great. Uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, if that's uh, if that's where we're going with, uh, with Elliot and Darlene, but I do think at least on the surface, the fact that you've got a literal human trafficker who can make people disappear... Uh, and somebody that Darlene or that DDP is aware of, uh, it means to me that there is going to be some level of use of that guy. Uh, and it's probably just going to be her and her mom and maybe her brothers. I think that her brothers, we see them in um, passing in a picture in uh, the scenes as the camera's panning around DDP's family Christmas morning here. Uh, so I don't know if that's by accident. It's very clear that uh, the Dark Army is watching her family uh, as DDP goes to walk the dog. Uh, she's marking down where she spots the white vans at Oxford Avenue, Manor Drive, and all these places that are around where her uh, mom's house is. So I think she knows the Dark Army's watching her. She feels very like the walls are closed in around her. Last episode included uh, when we actually saw what that would look like when she uh, was in her subconscious. Uh, what we see ultimately is that um, she's feeling very penned in. She's feeling very trapped. She is going to the lengths of hacking the local PD for the Dark Army. 
Um, I don't think that that's going to mean she's going to turn Elliot and Darlene over to the Dark Army. I think she knows that these are people that are working for the forces of good, that maybe if they work together, they can take down the Dark Army. I do think that's what we're going to get, but as a matter of how we'll use the people that are being removed. Especially if, like, you know, she she collides with them quickly and quickly learns, like, not only are we going for the Dark Army, but this shit's going down tonight. This shit's going down in six hours. Uh, maybe at that point, Tom's like, yeah, let's just do it. You know, whatever. Let's roll the dice. Uh, you know, she's obviously, you know, playing. She's not playing with house money. She's playing uh, real stakes at the table. Um, yeah, so, but scared money don't make none, as you know. Say. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, you got it. You, sometimes you have to roll the dice if you want to be successful. And uh, I do think that that's what we're going to get with DDP. Uh, and it's unfortunate because Janice is uh, clearly a violent woman. Uh, we see her stabbing the dog in this episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, you look around and you see what people are doing with their Christmas days. Philip Price, uh, you know, a very contemplative breakfast where he's looking at the happy family. DDP stealing cookies. Ellie and Dar- Elliot and Darlene are up to capers. Janice is uh, cutting animals up. So that's cool, right? As you do. As you do on Christmas. You know, she's just making stuffed animals for somebody's holiday. It's... Uh you know, different strokes for different folks. Speaking of things people are doing on Christmas, uh, Josh, Krista decides to just blow off her family. Uh, <laughs> yeah. route. Oh, God, I love Krista. I'm so concerned for Krista. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she was going to take Jason to the family. Jason was trying to figure out whether he should be wearing the swipe right sweater or the one that's like a mini Santa suit. And Krista's like, definitely don't wear the swipe right. That's not where <laughs> that's not where you should go with this. Krista seems happy. This Jason guy seems like kind of like a funny schlubby dude uh like he seems like he seems like he's really excited to have a christmas dinner for two uh just with krista tonight there's chunky monkey on the table or on the and bay stockings are hung by the chimney oh, with care no but then fernando vera shows up at the end of the episode to talk to krista it's time we talk she's outside her house when he shows up we know that jason is coming over for dinner uh if you're not concerned at least about Krista, you got to put Jason at the number one position on your death draft board moving into week six of Mr. Robot, which is so, so sad. Uh, so I'm I'm very concerned. And I know that there's a lot of questions about um you know, where where does Fernando Vera fit into the grander scheme of the final season of Mr. Robot? How do we have time for this character? Why is this something that we are dealing with? And I think that wrapping his story up with Krista, for me, gives me some level of clarity on the matter where I think Elliot is going to have to be drawn into this to some degree. Vera is going to use Krista to get closer to Elliot. It's going to be something akin to a Shayla situation, probably. Um, hopefully, Krista walks away from it uh I, I hope that she does i think that she I, I think she stands a chance i think it'd be very repetitive just to kill krista in a very similar way as they killed shayla um but with vera like having krista does that lure elliot out does he try to make some move with elliot does elliot reject him does elliot uh use this moment with krista to bond closer with krista again uh is krista able to to feel some measure of empathy towards elliot seeing you know the funky situation that he's in or are they like bonded together a little more deeply by whatever traumatic event could be in their immediate future. 
And Krista being the trained professional that she is, could she be somebody who is able to lure the other one out of Elliot? Like, could that be our inroad into finding out who that third personality is within Elliot, whether it's us or it's a deeper Elliot or it's something else entirely? Um, That's starting to come together for me that like Vera endangering Krista specifically would cause Elliot to have to come after both of them uh, and and maybe, you know, resolve the Vera thing within like a quick span of episodes. Like, it's not like that. Vera is the end game boss or anything like that. He's just uh, an obstacle that needs to be dealt with in these next few episodes. Conjecture, obviously, but that's that's sort of the path that I'm seeing with it all right now. Same. And like I said, in, as you're saying, it could be something that distracts Elliot. It could be something that uh, causes great loss. We, we just don't know exactly where it's going. Some people still think, I think, I'm sure that Maybe there's a team up for Elliot and Vera on some level that could happen. Uh, TBD on all of that, but it is coming and it is coming quickly. Uh, and Vera is now directly in Elliot's worldview, uh, and can find out. Uh, I, I don't know what Krista can possibly tell Vera, um, that will change what Vera thinks about Elliot. Um, right now, of course, we have to remember that Vera thinks that Krista upset Elliot and Vera is insane. Uh, and so if he thinks that Krista hurt Elliot or Elliot is upset with her in some way, he may think, that the way to get uh, Krista to get Elliot back into his life is to to do the favor of taking the person off the board or hurting the person that hurt him. That may be the way Vera thinks, and that obviously will not work with Elliot, uh, but it will certainly have an effect on Elliot. So that's the very difficult part we're going to have to deal with, I think, relatively quickly here. And again, we have not watched the this week next week on or any kind of teasers for next week right so we don't really know uh whether or not that's going to be immediate or not it sure feels like it though yeah. uh, it really does uh and it's just i i worry for krista you're right her her guy is probably toast um a couple of things before we get into some feedback from last week some holdovers that we'll we'll use to wrap up the uh the podcast uh that we didn't touch on is um the the very best thing about this episode antonio um, or I guess, uh, so the very best thing about this episode, obviously, is when the camera zooms out of Alvin and the Chipmunks road trip. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the best moment of the episode, yeah, obviously. Okay. That's number one. Uh, but the, but the second best thing is I feel like, and I was pretty out on this anyway, there's no chance that Elliot and Darlene are secretly like the same person. No. Uh, Darlene has full agency in this episode. She has her own full storyline. She's physically active in a way that is completely unique and independent of what Elliot is doing. I know that there are people who are banging the drum of like, oh, Darlelli, it's a thing. I'm fully a million percent out on that. I was already a hundred percent out, but I'm now magnifying that to a million percent. Definitely. Uh, and I was already out as, as you said, but it, it People want to read what they want to read or theories. The good thing about this final season, hopefully, is some of these theories that people have uh, spent a lot of time putting effort into will it be confirmed or will be clearly not confirmed so that people can feel like there is a clear, there is clarity, right? That there is no room for confusion. And I'm okay with there not being complete clarity on everything, but some of these big ones that are on the board, let's take them off the board. That's a good one to take off the board for sure. Uh, I, I don't know that if you want to say Tyrellyot, like I, I, we, we've talked that one to the bone, uh, but the Darlelliot of it all is gone. Uh, and that's great. It should be. Uh, I think it's great that, um, that Darlene has agency, that she's her own person, uh, that she is a full character in the series. I think it does a lot of uh, minimizing of what her role in the story is. Uh, when she spoke, as I mentioned earlier to Elliot about every major hack you've ever done, I've been part of it. Um, I think that it's important to note that. 
Uh, she's a significant uh, part of this. She's very smart, such that they're, we're often given to wonder, like, how did they both learn how to do this? How were they both so good at this? There almost has to be an answer for why they both are so good at this, because there isn't just one world's best hacker. There isn't just one person who's very good at this. There's two. Uh, and they work together as almost a symbiotic uh, relationship. And if that's the case, if they seem like two parts of the same whole, then I understand why people might begin to theorize. But they're also brother and sister. And they're also from the same toxic sludge, quite literally, uh, that caught, that killed their father and created a lot of their issues. So it makes sense that they would be very similar and yet different. Uh, and I think seeing the value of both characters is significant and important. And I'm glad that we see what Darlene is up to. I'm glad that she got out of that situation on her own uh, without any help from Elliot uh, and that the caper was both of theirs and needed both of them to be successful in different ways. I thought this was a really good, quiet way to show all of that. And it achieved its purpose in a significant way for me, for sure, in that regard. So that one is is off the board for sure. Uh, TBD on some of these other theories. And I know we're going to get into a couple from the feedback. I just want to do some quick hits before we get into the feedback, though. Um, one of the things we haven't paid a ton of uh, attention to, we've mentioned it in passing on this podcast, I know, in the past once or twice, especially when it came up the first time, uh, but it's so prevalent here, it, it's worth a mention. Dolores Hayes, uh, Darlene's hacker handle, and also her alternate ID that's put into the system here is a direct reference to Lolita. Uh, as we have said on the podcast in the past, if you missed it, uh, Lolita, of course, uh, as many things are on this series, uh, is a shout out to literature and is a shout out to existing stuff, but I think mainly a shout out to the 1962 Kubrick film, uh, Lolita. Uh, and we know that that's that, that Kubrick's entire catalog is so influential on CMS mail and most episodes, you can find two or three references, uh, in many ways. And Dolores Hayes is a direct reference to the character from Lolita. Uh, affectionately, she is the Lolita. Uh, she is the one uh, who was the, the title character there. Uh, but her name is Dolores Hayes and that's where Darlene gets that name from. Um, you, Josh, I don't know if you're a big Lolita guy, and I'm talking strictly about the movie or the book, uh, not generally speaking, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. I'm still not. I, 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 it's something that's on my radar that I, that I should be doing, especially as it pertains to robot, but uh, just have not been able to take the plunge yet. Yeah, maybe uh, I got to get through Watership down first. Uh, that's going. If there was some, yeah. If it was going to say, if we ever spun a wheel and had to do bonus robot podcasts, we no. Should apparently, that wouldn't really motivate it. We should just do the Kubrick film uh, chronology, yeah. uh, and definitely that would be something to hit. Uh, some other shots in this episode, I really loved uh, the shot. Shout out to Todd Campbell and everybody on the crew there for constructing the shot. Uh, and I'm not sure if it was a shot or if it was done in post, but where uh, Elliot, we're observing, as I mentioned earlier, Darlene talking uh, to Dolph from inside uh, when she's talking about how her idea is not working, and Elliot is watching from the outside, and you see his face reflected in the window and he nods to Darlene like drop the purse and she nods back and the purse is dropped uh, that is such a cool shot of his reflection in the window and we see them in Darlene in the shot and Dolph in the shot inside so well done uh, just a, a small moment in an episode full of intensity and full of pace uh, just a small moment in, in a breath you literally see his breath in the window uh, just so good uh, that, that I didn't want to like not talk about that at least in passing on this podcast uh, um, the uh, the hack in general, I think we talked generally about what it was. It seemed like they had planned for mo 
slow stages of it. Some of it was very much in the moment, hacking individual doors, especially Elliot, uh, when the hack took a little longer than they had anticipated, um, finding a way to hack into the electrical system and get the lights turned out. Um, that was a significant moment. But a lot of it did seem like it was directly what they planned, including the 3D printing of the finger, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, so the hack, I think it all worked really pretty well for me. Um, just the, the Mac quail was a significant aspect of that in terms of carrying um, the pace throughout and making it feel uh, very moment-to-moment significant. But I also want to give a shout-out to the sound design in the episode, the sound design of the clacking of the keyboards, um, the times when there wasn't uh, actual music playing, when it was silence in an otherwise dialogue-free episode, um, some great sound moments throughout uh, DDP listening to Bob Dylan's uh, hilarious and sometimes tender, but also sometimes completely off-the-wall Christmas album uh, when she's changing the channels and she gets Bob Dylan's Do You Hear What I Hear, a very fun needle drop there. The All About That Bass ringtone uh, from the up state new york police officer which <laughs> yeah. we hear a couple times very yeah. fun and funny very memorable i'm very well used therefore in that scene when ddp clearly has moved that phone and called it to get that cop up from her desk so she can place the hack device on the desk so that the dark army can access um that local police uh, uh terminal and network uh i thought very cleverly done very fun uh her own little social engineer her own little hack there uh i thought that worked really well um and just a really fun uh sound design moment i also really like the use of Ave Maria at the skating rink uh, as they were str- as Elliot was struggling across the ice. Was that this- uh, was that Groban? I don't know. Was it Groban? It That's sounded really like Groban to me, <laughs> Mister Grobot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Josh Groban. <laughs> Josh Grobot with, like with a great yeah. history with Mister Robot. So <laughs> yes, exactly. If that was, then that's our Josh Groban call out for the fourth season, uh, and that was really good. I I really enjoyed how it just it it, it was playing on like the tinny like overhead of the rink speakers, uh, and so even though it's Ave Maria in this like uh, ethereal like heavenly song, it was just being pumped out of you know the the very tinny speakers and i just thought very good from a uh just from that that was kind of inch perfect really from that and then of course silent night playing throughout the episode but especially or in the trailer but especially at the end uh as darlene and her mother stood there wordlessly uh, i think that her mom standing there wordlessly with her really worked um because there's got to be some tension between the two of them uh, ddp just blew off christmas eve without a phone call like her mom is clearly worried about her but there has to be some tension there. Um, and so for her and her mom to stand there wordlessly as Silent Night was playing throughout the end, I thought really, really well used there as well. So sound wise and and uh, and needle drop wise, I thought a really perfectly executed episode. I can't give enough credit to the way this episode was constructed overall. Uh, just really a home run across the board in every aspect from the way it was shot to the way it sounded. Absolutely. To the way it, you know, all of it was absolutely really just one of my all time favorite Mr. Robot episodes for sure. I mean, like just and, and for all the reasons that uh, 308 from last season, the one where uh, where Elliot uh, goes goes to the movies with Muhammad is uh, probably my my all-time favorite episode of Mr. Robot uh, for being contemplative and and really internal, um, but taking a lot of those internal ideas and and bringing them out into the world via connection with with this young boy, uh, and and it just resonates with me and sits with me in, in this way that I'll never forget how that episode made me feel on first watch. Uh, this is like a, a very different thing uh, what we're dealing with in this episode, but it's it's so propulsive, it's so fun, it speaks to so ma- so many of the other things that Mr. 
Mr. Robot does really well. It's scary. It's tense. It's hysterical. The 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 I I, I joke when I say that the Alvin and the Chipmunks poster is the best part of the episode, but it's so funny that that is in there in the thick of the running. Right? You know that like the camera zooms out on stupid CGI Alvin's face is just so funny. So there's just there's like a there's there's gravitas, but and and just like a highly executed talent on display from the acting to the sound design to the cinematography to the way that it's edited and cut together uh, to the way that it's written and conceived um, the the technological efficiency and expertise that's very uh, wonderfully demonstrated or at least convincingly faked <laughs> on screen because I guess I wouldn't have any way of knowing um, you know all, all of that but the fact that it's also on top of all of that as funny as it is uh, as energetic as it is uh, as exciting as it is and as experimental as it is uh, just made this episode a real home run for me and as far as like all of like the the structure breaking Mr. Robot episodes my favorite one so far um, so I, I loved this one I, I really really thought that they did such a great job um, and it's not that like things didn't happen in this episode. This was an important episode insofar as uh, Price is in position for the Deus group meeting later that night. Uh, Elliot and Darlene now have some mastery over over Cyprus coming into that meeting. So as they lost a huge piece of uh, a, a huge piece off of the table in Tyrell's death, uh, they now at the very least they do have something in their corner. So everybody's got bullets in the chamber uh, coming into this shootout, which is really, really great and exciting. Uh, but it's like it's it's small things, small and important things like that are that are moving forward in this episode and so much else that's about it is just like mr robot doing what it does so well in such grand fashion that while we have this show still on the air while we know we only have a few more weeks of this thing before it's gone forever i'm really glad that we stopped down for an episode like this it's just a really really fun way to spend an hour this week uh so so i love that i hope that people enjoyed it as much uh as as we did and as it pertains to that of course the way that we record these podcasts your feedback will come one week later. So your feedback for 405, we will get to when we're talking through 406. Right now, Antonio, we've got some leftover feedback from 404 to dig into. Leftovers? Of course, we have the leftovers uh, to, to chew upon today. Uh, the way you get us your feedback, mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. You can also tweet at us. I'm at Ron Howard. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. And make sure you are tagging at postshowrecaps on Twitter as well as we're as we're looking back on just a little bit of the feedback we've gotten um, in the days since we dropped our 404 podcast. A couple of divergent opinions still on the episode. Uh, we had this quick one from Steven, a listener named Steven, who said, This episode was whack, but so good. It didn't help that I fell asleep multiple times during it and had to rewind back to where I was up to. Uh, maybe a little bit of a sleepy episode with 404 not found for Steven. Uh, Robin had written in to say, I'm in the group of people for whom this episode didn't quite work. It's hard to put my finger on exactly why, though. I've loved some of the slower episodes in the past. I had no problem with season two as a whole. I really liked the season three suicidal ideation episode with Elliot and Trenton's younger brother. That one was also slow, poetic, and didn't progress the quote-unquote plot. But for some reason, that one really worked for me, while this one, 404, did not. I still liked a lot of the episode, enjoyed all of the Darlene stuff, didn't dislike 
like the DDP stuff, but the trio lost in the woods felt clunky all the way through. I know we're meant to feel impatient and lost with them, but it didn't feel meaningful or character developing in the way that it was obviously meant to. I don't think I learned anything new about Elliot Robot and Tyrell. It really did just feel like going around in circles on topics and characters and relationship notes that we'd already covered. So for me, it might be my least favorite episode of the show, though that's not saying much, as no episode of Mr. Robot is truly bad, in my opinion. That is from Robin. All right. Well, everybody to each their own. Uh, and I think it's great to see um, that there are people that feel differently. Uh, so whack, whack, but so good is I love interesting that. Yeah. Way. Uh, <laughs> I like the I, I like the I fell asleep multiple times and had to rewind because that, that episode is already so surreal. Can you even imagine falling asleep and waking up and not knowing? Yeah, it's like what Dom. Experience, that's what, what happens with her. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's really great. Um, least favorite episode of the show is interesting. Like I said, some people prefer prose and can't hack it with poetry, and I get that. Uh, and I certainly am on that level sometimes myself. But in this particular case, obviously, it landed better for both of us. Um, but uh, there are other people that wanted to uh, talk about where the episode landed after it's over now, how it will affect what we watch. Um, Kira wrote in, said, love the podcast. Thank you, Kira. I have a question regarding those final scenes with Elliot and Tyrell. Do you think we will look back on the rewatch and have that scene with Elliot stating he never cared be even more gut-wrenching? It is my hope that we finally see some backstory as to why Tyrell was so enamored with Elliot. I'm wondering if the third personality in him had a more intimate relationship. Or am I overthinking this and it was purely Elliot's lack of caring that had Tyrell so obsessed? Uh, that's where Kira's comment is. Thank you for the comment, Kira. Josh, I know that in this past episode with Elliot and Tyrell, uh, Tyrell basically does kind of say, like, uh, you know, you don't care. I care so much. And it does seem like Tyrell is enamored with that aspect of Elliot's character. Uh, but you and I have also talked about how there does seem to be some stuff missing, whether it's the three days after the hack. Uh, before Tyrell goes upstate and whether the other one comes out then. It seemed like Tyrell confirmed last episode that when they met for the first time in episode one at All Safe, that was the first time they met. We're on the same page about that, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it's hard to see them filling in more backstory before that moment. Are there gaps they can fill in throughout? Yes. And I think the probably the most significant aspect and example of this, and speaking of poetry versus prose, is the poetry moment uh, where we have the Coney Island scene between Elliot and Mr. Well, at the first time we saw it, it was between Mr. Robot and Tyrell. When they're in Tyrell's car at Coney Island, Tyrell sort of found out about what's going on. And he's basically saying like, hey, you better tell me what's going on. And we don't exactly know the first time we see that scene what happens. When we see it the second time, we know Elliot is Mr. Robot. We see Elliot in that car and Rami Malek doing his Christian Slater voice a little bit, which is great. Uh, and him basically saying, I think when you break down and you, you really look at this, uh, you're going to realize that revealing my big secret is not going to serve e us either, either of us a purpose or whatever. And then he gets out of the car and Tyrell try tries to stop him. Then he gets out of the car and Tyrell starts talking about his father and he starts talking about so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow. He says the poem. He talks about his dad. And it is after that moment, wherever whatever happens in that moment, it's after that that Tyrell goes home and says, like, you know, we spent so much time looking at what's in front of us, we haven't looked at what's above us. And he says your favorite word, Josh. Mm. Good. Good. 
Gut, yeah. And he's like manic, right? He's crying to Joanna and he's going crazy in this moment. And he's like, oh, just like, he's just really a mess when he's talking to Joanna. And it does feel like maybe there could be something else from that moment to when he goes back and meets with Joanna. And he says he hasn't been seeing Gut, uh, that we haven't been looking up and seeing Gut. Uh, and so maybe there's something there where the other guy comes out because we've already seen that scene from the Elliot perspective and the Mr. Robot perspective there is a third personality, it kind of makes sense that we might see a little bit more of that Coney Island scene and the Red Wheelbarrow poem and all of that be tied together uh, with some emergence of the third personality or some different perspective of that scene uh, that maybe uh, lends some more connection to the Elliot and Tyrell connection. And the thing is, uh, that would also be another great way to get Martin Wallstrom back on the show is to reshoot that scene from that perspective. It is a scene we've already revisited. If we were going back to scenes that we could revisit again in season four, I think it's one we could plant a flag on. So as far as Kira, as far as your comment goes, I don't think we're going to get anything from before the all safe meeting. I think we've safely ruled that out. But I do think it's possible that we could get more from some of these other scenes that we've already seen multiple perspectives on once we find out who the other guy is and find out that the third personality did connect with Tyrell on some level and we just haven't seen it yet. My only problem with all that, which I mostly agree with, is I think that the show is not terribly interested in Tyrell Wellick anymore. Uh, I think he's dead. I think that how he relates to Elliot, I think, was pretty much handled in 404. And I know that that's upsetting to many people who are really invested in the Tyrell and Elliot relationship. But I think that the show gave it its finale in 404 uh, is is my feeling. I, I don't think that there's going to be too much more to explore. Uh, I really do think that it was it was like Elliot's disinterest in what other people think of him that Tyrell was so interested in and was, was the aspect of Elliot that allured him to him so much because of how it relates to his own feelings of needing to be, um, you know, needing to matter to other people. Uh, and I think that that's resolved by the end of 404, however untidily, you know, however messily, uh, I do think that it's resolved there. So I don't expect that we're going to do too, too much more with Tyrell later on in the show, unless it's as some sort of hallucinatory thing that Elliot is going to see as he's visited by the ghosts of Christmas past. Yeah, and we, I, I agree. Uh, I agree. And generally speaking, I do think there's a possibility that we'll revisit some of these old scenes. I'm hopeful, for example, that we will finally find out what Elliot was up to truly uh, from the moment that Irving showed up in the arcade and took Tyrell away to when he woke up in Tyrell's car, uh, having parked it there. Um, did he just lose those time? lose that time. I think that's a good place for the third personality to emerge and see. Uh, I also think the scene with he and Tyrell, the red wheelbarrow scene at Coney Island uh, is a good one. So that would be Tyrell back in the show. So I guess it remains to be seen, but I think you're right about Tyrell, and I think people's minds generally are made up as well. I don't think we need more. Uh, Jill Laudermilk tweeted at us and said, I think Tyrell gets my sympathy because of one scene, Santiago telling him the fate of his family. That was heart-wrenching. That always sticks out to me. Uh, and that is a, that's, it's a good point, I think, by Jill, that even though this guy was a terrorist and even though he did what he did to Sharon Knowles, the show was also interested in presenting him with a little bit of sympathy. Uh, and I think that 
some of those key moments that we saw on screen, and, and I think in part due to Martin Wallstrom's performance, and I think a shout out to Omar Metwally there as well as Agent Santiago, um, that scene sticks with people, uh, especially Jill, and that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I think we, we don't necessarily need more Tyrell for that still to be the case. Uh, and I, I think that we may not get more. So hopefully if you're a Tyrellian stan or if you really like Elliot and Tyrell, um, you're satisfied with where we are. If you're not, I don't know what else we can say other than that that's where we are. Uh, um, and yeah. We may not get more. Um, a shout out to Reddit user Tiana Vague, who had written in to us with a theory about Krista being um, not the not the Krista that we had known and loved from the very beginning of the show. Uh, Tiana Vague's theory, uh, which I'll read in part, is that Elliot has not seen the real Krista since the middle of season one. Since then, he's quote unquote absorbed the idea of Krista into his psyche, and she's another element of what's going on inside his head. The Krista we've been seeing is not exactly an alter, but nor is she a living, breathing person that we had seen in the earlier edi- uh, episodes. She's the mediator between Elliot's personalities. And when Elliot runs into her in 403, I believe this is the first time they've really seen each other since he hacked her. That's why she's angry and why it feels so personal. Um, what do you think about this theory of the Krista that we've been seeing through so much of Mr. Robot isn't actually the Krista as she exists at the beginning of Mr. Robot? Did the events of this episode sway you one way or the other, Antonio, as to the possibility that Krista is just inside of Elliot's head. Well, we saw a very different version of Krista here, obviously. Uh, and the thing I do like about some of these Reddit theories is people uh, in uh, Tiana Vag is uh, certainly uh, detailed uh, in a post on Reddit that you could find, uh, which is, I think, titled Theory About Elliot's Coping Mechanism. Uh, and you can find it there. Uh, people are updating their theories as they go with evidence from each new episode. So if you want to actively participate in the theorizing and you want to find some of these key things, some of these users are, are doing a really good job of tracking this throughout. Um, this is, I think, an example of a theory that certainly will be influenced by the information we get from this week's episode in that we see Krista on her own. Uh, we see Vera talking to Krista. Is it possible we'll pull back the curtain uh, and we'll see a different version like we did in the prison? Sure. We can never forget that this is a show that did that to us. But that was Elliot, I think, actively lying to us because he was angry at us. That's what he basically says. Like, I couldn't trust you. You didn't tell me about Mr. Robot. Like, I wasn't feeling like I wanted to talk to you, but can we be friends now? Like, can we, you know, we're on the same page now, right? Like, we're good with this. So um, is there something else like this going on? The, the, the one thing I would say is the fact that we've introduced an alter uh, that is not Elliot or Mr. Robot. And the fact that we know that Darlene, for example, claims to have said to that third person, uh, you know, Vera's back and we got to stay away from Vera and what should we do? Then that third person did nothing with it. Is it possible that that third person has been sort of laissez-faire about their other interactions, including with us, uh, and that we're seeing some version of events differently because there's a third persona out there that has some other agenda or goal? I'd say it's possible. I haven't seen a ton of evidence of that in the show, uh, and that's the only way I could see this Krista thing after this week um, really being brought back into the fore. So I think this is the Krista that she does exist. She is happy. Actually, not having Elliot in her life uh, means that she's not an active character in a certain type of way. It means that she's not pulled down by all of the stuff that surrounds Elliot. She has not been in the crosshairs. The unfortunate running into Elliot on the street did seem a little coincidental for me. It meant it, I felt like Elliot had been looking for her and found her, not that he just accidentally ran into her, but I don't think it means that she's some alter at this point, and certainly not after what we saw this week. 
All right, let's wrap up with one last piece of feedback that I think is worth reading after the episode that we just watched. This is from Jennifer, who writes in to say, <laughs> "I." Jennifer says, I work in exam delivery, where I schedule candidates at testing sites around the world so they can take certification exams for their jobs in fields like medicine, engineering, Pilates instructing, etc. This week, we're dealing with a lot of cancellations and reschedules of these exams because of internet outages in California due to the wildfires. At one site, a huge group of SAT candidates has to be rescheduled. Even when disasters aren't happening, we'll get the occasional phone call from a testing site saying we need to reschedule a candidate because the internet is down. Our nation's communication system really is fragile. One of my coworkers told me the Bank of America site went down for a little bit last week. It really doesn't take much to take down. Uh, to, it doesn't take much to bring down a system that is so important and contains so much confidential and important information. I'm always wondering if some enterprising hacker could make Five Nine happen in real life, probably without much effort. I try not to think about that second one too much, or I can't sleep at night. Really Really, the catastrophic hacking that these Mr. Robot characters do really can't be so far off from what they could do in real life. And on that scary note, this is Jennifer, I'm going to take a Xanax now and get back to work. And Antonio, this is Josh. On that scary note, I am also going to take a Xanax now and stop working. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go play a board game because I don't want to think too much about the yes. reality of Mr. Jo- Robot as it Josh pertains. and I might, we might start recording an alternate podcast about Gloomhaven. Yeah. We've been talking about it a ton. We're both playing it separately with different groups. So if you're a Gloomhaven fan, that's where we are right now. Oh my God. Uh, but no, I thought that that was really fun as it pertains to this past episode where we are seeing uh, Elliot and Darlene um, really on the job uh, doing what <laughs> yeah, they do I hope do Jennifer's best. still with us after this yeah. week. <laughs> oh my god, Jennifer! I'm with you. I'm popping my Xanax as well. Uh, this is uh, this is definitely a, a anxiety-inducing yeah. uh, episode for sure. Uh, and as we said, just so well done. Uh, and Janice is right. Or Jennifer's right. Uh, not Janice. Je- Janice is horrible. Jennifer's right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, about everything that is going on. Like we could get a lot of these things happening. And of course, we already know. Uh, our elections are subject to this. Our very uh, political system is subject to this. Uh, and White Rose has been linked directly to that, by the way. But uh, but yeah, we know that these things are happening in our lives. We know about these massive data breaches. We know about the things that, that are – we almost have to not think about them because it is so present and so possible. And power grids being taken offline uh, is a thing that – I just don't feel like we have any comprehension of how unprepared we truly are for some of this stuff. Uh, and we only see it when we have these post-apocalyptic type scenarios, uh, what it really looks like. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we've had enough scares that the major things can be avoided. But uh, TBD, I suppose, as long as we continue to live, there will be these panic-inducing moments. We just have to find the the Xanax or the natural Xanax in the moment, I guess. TBDDP, as we are going T-B-D-D-P. to... We are going to tune out of the podcast now. We'll be back next week talking. It's called 406 Not Acceptable. 
Antonio, uh, as we've been uh, as we've been charting these uh, these four XX error codes. Why are they all errors? Why can't there be a successful uh, one? Well, because it's a good uh, it's a good naming convention, and yeah. cer- certainly the best they've done on Mister Robot for my money. Uh, but very stressful indeed. We'll be back next week talking about whatever the hell they've got up their sleeves for the next episode of what's really shaping up for for Antonio and I. Certainly, to have been a, a really really fun final season thus far. Uh, fun is maybe uh, the uh, uh, the wrong word, uh, but this week was fun for me. I really loved this episode of the show. Really looking forward to talking about next week's episode 406. Just a quick scheduling update on that as we are talking this through. Uh, Antonio and I have determined that we are not going to be able to record at our normal time, so the 406 podcast is going to come your way a little bit late. Look out for that on November 13th. The good news with that is it means that you can get your feedback into us, not just about 405, but about 406 as well. So send that into us. Post Show Recaps is our Twitter handle. You can send it to me as well on Twitter at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. And that email address, mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com. Send us your feedback for 406 and we will get to it for the next episode of the show coming your way November 13th. Plenty of things happening in the post-show recap space. The Walking Dead podcasts are happening. Lost podcasts are happening. Mr. Robot is happening. You can subscribe to all of that by subscribing to our post-show recaps main feed. And we also have individual feeds for all of those podcasts. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear more about Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen, Antonio and I are podcasting about that every single week over at the Hollywood Reporter on the series regular podcast. So subscribe to series regular on the Hollywood Reporter if you are enjoying Watchmen and you want to hear Antonio and I taking the mask off of that show. Antonio, anything else before we wrap up? That's, I think, the only Watchmen podcast going. So that's really <laughs> right. Listen, that would yeah. be great. No, uh, I like you. Loved this episode. I like one you of too. My, one of my probably top three episodes. Uh, I love the poetry and the prose. Uh, this was just such a, a great, uh, delicious episode. And I don't think I shouted it out enough, but that vertigo shot uh, down the stairs. Oh, it's uh, so good. <laughs> Maybe my favorite shot of the whole series. Oh, At great. some point, I'll have to think back to what else would be on that list. But coming to the top of my mind right now, it may be my favorite one of the whole series. So uh, just an extremely well executed episode. Not an error in any way. Uh, looking forward to what comes uh, next. And Josh, looking forward to talking to you about it and hearing everyone's feedback about this episode. I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we did. I think they will. Uh, I think uh, best shot of the series is obviously the Alvin and the Chipmunk zoom out. But uh, okay, that's okay. Ne- neither here nor there. Okay, everybody. Right. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Goodbye.